Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Owner's Manual, a podcast for parents. I'm your host, Drew Nash. This is episode 103, which is actually the second full episode of the show. I am a primary care pediatrician who has been practicing in the San Francisco East Bay for over 25 years. I started this podcast to bring relevant issues of interest to parents and caretakers regarding raising children, infants, and adolescents in the modern world. We have a great show for you today, and I'm really excited about today's guest, who I have been lucky enough to practice with for the past two and a half years. The topic today, the fussy infant, will be of interest to any parent with a newborn or any expecting parent who will be having to cope with raising a newborn in the near future. After the discussion with my guest, I'll answer some phone-in questions that are relevant to today's topic. Before we get started, just a couple of nuts and bolt issues. The Owner's Manual, a podcast for parents, is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. In addition, we can be found on Podbean, our web host. We hope that you will subscribe to the show so you can be notified when each new episode becomes available. Visit our Facebook page at The Owner's Manual Podcast, where you can like us, post a comment, and even post a question to be answered on the show. While we hope that listeners are able to learn and benefit from the content of this show, the information discussed in the Owner's Manual is not intended to diagnose or treat any specific individual or condition. There is no substitute for direct patient care from a trained clinician. If you have concerns about your child, we recommend that you make an appointment with your child's primary care physician for an evaluation. My guest today is somebody who I only met a few years ago, but I feel like I've known them for most of my life. She received her undergraduate and medical school education at UCLA and remains a rabid Bruins fan. After obtaining her MD, she moved north to Stanford for her pediatric residency. She remained at Stanford, where she initially worked as a hospitalist and then joined the Palo Alto Medical Foundation where she practiced for seven years before she returned home with her family to Danville. She began working at my practice, one-to-one pediatrics in Danville, in November 2016, and since that time has established herself as a fixture both in this practice and in the community. Please welcome my dear friend and partner in practice, Marianne Borden. Hi. Hi, Marianne. Thanks for coming in today and talking. You're welcome. Glad to be here. So the topic we're going to discuss today, which I think is another really common thing that we see in pediatrics, is the fussy baby. So babies are fussy, and I think the best thing to start with is giving parents of newborns an idea about what's normal and what you can expect when you bring your baby home and for the first several months. How fussy are babies and what should parents expect? I think there's a huge range that we see and that parents need to understand first and foremost that crying is not necessarily the end of the world. When you bring home your second, third, or fourth baby, you know that, but the first one, sometimes even a small amount of fussing and a small amount of crying puts parents into a panic and it's very normal for babies to cry intermittently. Does it does crying necessarily mean that there's anything wrong? No. 
Babies cry. Sometimes it means something's wrong, but babies cry because they are wet, hungry, gassy, um, learning the new world. Okay. And so how do you tell? How do you tell when your baby's crying because there's something wrong or something needs tending to? And then sometimes they cry just because they're going to do that. Yeah, I think that parents, one of the kind of most frightening time frames for parents is the first night home with their first newborn. They've had a lot of help in the hospital. There's been a lot of nurses, sometimes even a couple of hours at a time where they're whisked off by the nursing staff. And so the first night home, oftentimes, babies are just a little hungry, a little fussy, crying a lot. And to understand that that can be very, very normal and that that it's going to get better is is kind of the starting point. In fact, I can remember when my oldest son, when we came home from the hospital for that first night, and I had just finished my pediatric residency, so I was at the pinnacle of knowing everything that there was to know about babies, and we get home and everything unraveled. Everything changes the yep. first night home. Yep, it yeah. does. Uh, every family member that I have that has had a newborn since I became a pediatrician has called me in a panic either the night of at two, three in the morning or the next morning to tell me that, that they did not get what they expected when they left the hospital. So what to do as a parent? What, what are the steps you kind of go through when you're trying to sort out normal fussiness versus uh, the baby who actually has something going on? Well, the first week, I think, the most common reason for babies to fuss really is that they are working on feeding. And that they oftentimes, if they fuss that first night home from the hospital or are really crying, it's because their hunger has set in. And with breastfed babies especially, oftentimes the breast milk isn't there yet. It takes a few days. Yeah. So that first that first week, the first kind of especially four to five days, a lot of times when babies are really fussy and frantic, it's because they are hungry. And so do you just continue with the plan? When do you say... Uh, we can give some either pump breast milk or formula. What, what's your kind of level of uh, when you change the plan? My starting gauge is to see how how much of a plan parents, especially moms, have around nursing. And if they are absolutely opposed to supplementing in the beginning, then I, I'll, I'll respect that and I'll work with them. Those Those babies, if they're seeming hungry and seeming fussy and and the breast milk isn't in yet basically need to spend as much time as possible on the breast to bring in the milk supply and um and if moms really are opposed to supplementing at that point then just really really frequent nursing and pumping is the the key and what's the time frame between you know assuming that the baby's born vaginally so you're home after a couple of days when should they expect that to get better and for the baby to feel a little more content with the nursing and the feeding if you're going to just stick with the breastfeeding only plan? Well, the good news is that they'll be in the office usually within 24 to 48 hours of going home. That's the good news for them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so really how much weight the baby is losing is a really good indicator of how long that's going to take. And every Every baby is different and every mom is different in terms of the, the onset of supply. Generally, day three, day four is when we're starting to, to, to have a little more match between breast milk production and baby demand. And you mentioned weight loss. So when you see the baby in the first three or four days for that first visit, where do you expect the baby to be as far as weight compared to birth weight? 
exclusively breastfed babies when we see them at day three or four are down usually you know somewhere around seven percent from their birth weight and we oftentimes see it closer to 10 11 12 percent we get a little more excited there's no magic number but 10 percent is kind of where we start paying a little closer attention especially if the baby sees, seems frantically hungry um, we'll start talking supplementation actually a baby that's content to, to underfeed is more concerning from a pediatric standpoint um, and you know sometimes certainly in that bridge period that first week when they're losing weight a little supplementation may be needed so that translates you have a Average size baby in this country is seven and a half pounds. So that baby could be down to six, 12 or so yep. and still be totally within the normal parameters. Although they're going to be fussy at that age. Yes. Because they're hungry. And so when do things start to get better? When do you start seeing them really start gaining weight and uh, having that normal hunger uh, fussiness improve? I'd say after the first week. We should, you know, and if there's something going on with nursing and there's really a hurdle there, then we've appreciated that by day seven for sure. And we're either insisting on supplementation at that point or the nursing is coming along. And you would see that based on lack of weight gain. Right. So a baby who's fussy and gaining weight is less concerning than a baby who's fussy and isn't doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's where... The, the close follow-up in that first week, I think parents don't, of uh, firstborns don't necessarily understand that they'll be in the office, you know, frequently until it's it's shown that their babies are gaining weight. Mm -hmm. And so say you've got a baby who's following the plan and has lost their 7 8%, and by the time you see them around 0, 10, 12 days, they're back to birth weight. But uh, then the mother comes in and says, you know, that they just really are fussy most of the time if they're not sleeping. They're kind of needing something. When do you start to either reassure or when do you start to maybe intervene in some way? A lot of it has to do with parental tolerance of the fussing. There are, there are families that, that really are uncomfortable with any little bit of fussing. And so teasing that out and letting families know that, um, especially in the evening, you know, we kind of reach the, the witching hour in a lot of babies and that even a couple of hours at a time or, you know, three to four hours throughout the course of a day, if it's intermittent and it is somewhat predictable, can be completely normal. Great. So... How do you tease out whether it's the parent that is <laughs> the problem or, or the parent has expectations that maybe aren't realistic? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that there's a lot of listening involved in trying to tease out, is this a baby that is, uh, quote unquote, normally fussy versus a baby that really is uncomfortable and really struggling? I'd say uh, one of the things that, that for me is, is an important factor to tease out is is the timing of the fussing and how 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 it is in relation to feeds. So can you talk a little more about that? Yeah, so babies that seem really, really uncomfortable with feeding, either on the breast or by bottle, um, certainly there may be something more related to either what they're feeding, you know, s some component of either the breast milk or the formula, or um, just me mechanically that they're having some issues with reflux or, or with the processing of their feeds. Babies that are comfortable throughout the day and have a witching hour, you know, 7 p.m., 11 p.m., where there's a couple of hours of extreme fussing, but that doesn't translate during most feeds or most of the day, that tends to be a more kind of classic, we trash back basket term colic, uh, that that is 
a very common and we can reassure families that it will go away and usually is not associated with anything pathologic. So how do you define that term colic, which is <sighs> this, like you said, it's sort of a wastebasket term for the baby who's fussy, but there's really nothing wrong. Yeah. Um, the best way I can explain it to families is that, that the way I look at it, at it is as a kind of an immaturity of their, their system, the combination of their gastrointestinal and their neurologic systems that, um, you know, I think sometimes breaking it down for families that babies for their entire gestation, the whole time they're in utero, aren't feeding on anything. They are swallowing amniotic fluid and that's it. Their gut isn't required to do any work. They're getting all their nutrition through the umbilical cord. And that that process, that, that the gut and, the, and their neurologic system has to learn of digestion and processing and, and pooping and burping and all of those things are brand new. And it can take you know, kind of the fourth trimester, those, those three months or so post-delivery for that to iron itself out. And, um, and there's something about the end of the day when babies are a little overtired, parents are a little overtired, that, um, that the wiring sometimes just crosses and that babies just seem to, to need a reset button. And, uh, and sometimes that takes a while to hit. I agree completely with what you're saying. The way that I describe it, which is very similar to what you're saying, is that um, the frontal lobe of the brain, which is the part of the brain that filters everything, you know, the things we don't have to think about, like the example I use when I'm talking to parents is like what your left foot feels like. So right now I said that and you thought for a second what your left foot feels like, but until I said that you weren't thinking about that. And if I walked by you and stepped on your foot accidentally, that'd become relevant and you'd pull your foot away. But you can filter out most of your input and the frontal lobe doesn't do that for a few months. And so kind of what you were saying is that everything in utero is sort of climate controlled and quiet. And then all of a sudden you're in this world where there's sounds and lights and I've got gas and I'm hungry. And at the end of the day, that can just become overwhelming to some babies and they just become a little bit unglued for a few hours. Yep. Yeah. So I agree. A baby who's colicky is usually fine for most of the day. Right. And then it's like a switch flips and they are really fussy for usually a predefined period of time, a few hours, and then they're good again. Right. As opposed to the kid that's fussy from the time they wake up in the morning until whatever time they're they're down, which is a little bit different. So you were talking about seeing when babies are fussy during the feeding process and how that might suggest that there's something else going on, whether that's a mechanical issue or whether that has to do with a component of the food they're eating, whether that's breast milk or formula. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so babies almost by definition reflux they're, they're the, the sphincter that closes their stomach connection to the esophagus is, is a little loose. It's, it, every baby has some degree, or, or the majority of babies have some degree of backflow of stomach content up into their esophagus. Um, and over time, generally not in the first couple of weeks in my experience, but over time, if they're spending enough time with acidic stomach contents kind of coming up and, and irritating their esophagus or, or exposing their esophagus to that acid, they can get really uncomfortable. And the kind of the classic timing for that is about halfway through a feed. 
is as the stomach starts to stretch and a little bit extra acid kind of comes up in babies that, that have had a little erosion or a little irritation in their esophagus, they'll start to, to get really uncomfortable about halfway through a feed. And so what to do? Well, there are a lot of starting points. First of all, there are a lot of reasons that some babies are more prone to having irritation. And that can, there, there's a lot of overlap with this stuff. And that certainly can be related to some component in their breast milk or in their formula. Or it can just be purely anatomic and mechanical with the, the stomach acid irritating their esophagus. And the starting point is to kind of maintain an environment that helps everything to go in the correct direction and not back up. So feeding a little more upright, keeping babies a little more upright after and, um, you know, as much as possible between feeds can be really helpful. So you're saying actually positioning them differently while they're nursing or while they're taking a bottle. Sometimes that can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and the nursing position oftentimes tends to be a pretty parallel with the ground position and doing a little bit of orientation at a 45 degree angle can, can help a lot of babies. Um, sometimes, you know, in a baby that's, that's feeding with a bottle, sometimes tinkering around a little bit with different types of bottles or nipples can be helpful. There are some that vent a little bit better, a little less kind of gas swallowed, and then therefore a little less pressure to come up and, and, and bother the esophagus. Okay. And what about uh, after feedings? So you kind of talked about swallowing gas. So um, getting the, that gas out. Yeah, I mean, the burping, it's funny. Some babies absolutely require a good burp or they will be fussy and uncomfortable. And some seem to just sail through without. It's. I think parents sometimes get a message that there's something magic about burping, which is not necessarily the truth. But I think you learn pretty quickly in the first couple of weeks if you've got a baby that needs to burp. Then they need to burp. Then they need to burp. Yeah. And I think something I think I see a lot of is the kid who suddenly after a few weeks will have episodes of waking up fussy in the middle of the night. And when you kind of backtrack, there's this, you know, the 2 a.m. feeding where you nurse the baby or feed the baby a bottle and they fall asleep. And, and they you don't burp. You make a kind of a brief effort to burp them, but you don't really persist because they're sleeping and you don't want to wake them, of course. And then like three hours later, the kid's a wreck. Yep. So it's the burp that didn't happen that causes fussiness a few hours later. Absolutely. And there are definitely a lot of babies that are really sensitive to that that added gas and that need to, to get that that burp out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do, though, have families that'll, that'll spend hours trying to burp a baby that's just not going to burp. And those are the ones that then <laughs> I, I tell them it's okay to, to stop. It's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then... Uh, things that might facilitate that process if you find that a baby is quote unquote not a good burper but they kind of need to are there any things that you recommend i mean they're there if you watch if you walk in the night in the NICU you will find because the NICU nurses these are the neonatal ICU nurses they are the best burpers in the business because yes, they are professional <laughs> burpers <laughs> because well, they're, themselves are babies yes their lives are better if their babies are comfortable their their nights are much smoother if they have babies that are that are not miserable and so um, there's a great position that they use. It's, it might be tough to describe, but basically on a knee with a, with a C-shaped kind of position between your thumb and your forefinger and supporting the baby's head and neck that way. And then a nice, um, gentle but firm pat on the back kind of over, over your knee is very helpful. I think a lot of parents under, underdo, not that you want to beat up the baby, but um, sometimes it requires a little bit of... 
you know, effort. A little force. A, yeah. Yeah. So what you're describing is basically having the baby lean forward so the... In a seated position yeah, so, almost. Yeah. So the, the palm of the caretaker's hand is like on their chest and the baby's neck is sort of draped between the thumb and forefinger um, loosely so you don't choke the baby, of course. And then the baby's kind of folded over your knee. Yep. And then whack them on the back a bit to yeah. get that burp out. Yeah. yeah. No, that I, that I is agree. the most most efficient in my experience. There's certainly, you know, there are a lot of, of professional burping parents out there, too, that prefer the over-the-shoulder. But um, but that's one that, that if you walk through an ICU, a neonatal ICU in the middle of the night, that's what you'll see. Yeah, you will see that. And that's definitely <laughs> good advice. And then uh, any uh, products you can purchase that help burping at all? Unsure. Yeah. I, I, there are definitely products that I think if families are frustrated, it's worth trying. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the Mylocon or Cymethicone is the, the generic name for, um, for the gas drops in some families. I, I don't know that it'll really help them with the burping mechanically, but will help with the gas potentially. Certainly not going to hurt. Right. So yeah. it's something yeah. to try. Something worth a try. What, yeah. yeah. And then what about the babies that you were describing who seem to get fussy halfway through that meal? What might that suggest and yes. what things can you do to actually help with that? So those those babies, you know, before I had kids of my own, I used to give the advice to keep them upright for an hour or an hour and a half after feeds. And you realize when you bring a newborn home that by the time you have nursed for 45 to 60 minutes, changed a diaper, done your burping, um, you will never sleep if you try to hold a baby for an hour and a half after every feed. That's going to... No, that's the time frame when you're (laughs) supposed to be sleeping. Yes, Yes. exactly. So, um, but, so that positioning is helpful. Sometimes pacing towards that middle part of the feed, so meaning slowing down a little bit, um, giving, giving the stomach a little bit of time to kind of start processing and emptying so things aren't coming up. Um, as, as aggressively maybe burping halfway through a feed can be helpful. And, and these are all these kind of non-medicinal ways to help babies that might be having symptomatic reflux. Mm-hmm. And what if things are so bad where the baby really just seems fu- not just fussy during the meal, but afterwards they really just can't settle down? Yeah, because we see that a lot in the office. Yeah, and I mean, if we've if if I've teased that out, that it seems to really be reflux related. That that and and this is where things get a little more complicated in terms of are babies more likely to be refluxing when they're having a sensitivity to something in the breast milk or the formula? Certainly that factors in. But if we're thinking kind of mechanically that this is a baby that's fussy because acid is coming up into their esophagus and irritating them, then, um, you know, we certainly do use with good success some acid-blocking medications to, to help babies that are really fussy and symptomatic with reflux symptoms. And how much improvement would you expect to see if, if in fact, it seems that reflux is the culprit? What I always tell families is that they should notice a difference within a couple of days that is notable. And does it help just the discomfort, or does it actually help the amount of, of reflux, reflux if you're seeing this baby spit up a lot? Yeah, so um, in, in theory, blocking acid shouldn't have anything to do with the mechanics of reflux, but but I think babies actually tend to be a little less spitty when they have less acid, and so it probably is just a, uh, a 
relaxing of their stomach muscles and their abdominal muscles while they're feeding, when they're more comfortable, they're less likely to be tense and probably less likely then to mechanically reflux. I think there can be some irritation of the lower esophagus too, that if you help reduce the acidity, that maybe that sphincter works a little, little bit better. better. Not yeah. doesn't change everything, but it might help a bit. Yeah. 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 And and I tell families that it, it's not mad it's not magic. They may certainly still have a baby that's a little uncomfortable, but if it is if if the fussing is primarily discomfort from acid and reflux, they should within a couple of days of starting a medication notice a, a significant improvement. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Doesn't it's not immediate, but it doesn't take a week. It's a couple of days. Yeah. And how about um, get these all the time where a parent comes in, whether it's they make an appointment specifically for this or whether they're coming in for a routine physical and they express a lot of concern about the fact that their baby is just grunting and groaning all night long. So when a baby sleeps, they make a lot of noise. They can make a lot of noise. So can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I, I, I think grunting during sleep in a baby that is breathing comfortably is about as normal as as you can get. Um, it's reassuring. It, it they, they are processing their world. They are making all sorts of little, you know, kind of breathing and digestive noises. And um, obviously a screaming, wailing, apparently uncomfortable baby is a lot different, but a grunting baby to me is not. Just making that grunting and groaning old man kind of noises. Um, it does not indicate there being anything wrong. Absolutely. And does that continue forever or is there a certain time frame when you kind of counsel people that it likely will get better or start to decrease? We generally stop hearing about it around the six month mark, mm-hmm. four to six months. Yeah. I don't know that it means it went away. Maybe they <laughs> I think it does, it does go away by then and or they just get tired of complaining about it. But yeah. yeah. Or they yeah. realize it's normal. And it, it, it's interesting. There, there is a medical term that that we use, grunting, that is that has to do with the respiratory system. There, yeah. And so it's not that. It's not that. There is there is a persistent sound that babies in distress will make with every single exhale, uh, that that we've labeled grunting, and that is not these old man noises that little no, babies no. can make. And it seems like they're kind of pushing against themselves. A lot of times, parents think that. It's abdominal in nature, and they're tr- straining to poop, but they can't. And that may or may not be true to a certain degree, but at the same time, we see it in a lot of babies, and it's totally normal. Absolutely. Yeah. Ab- and and, and we, I often hear it reported more from families whose babies are stooling less frequently. Mm-hmm. And I think the parents are so worried about the slowing in stool output, which is very common, especially in breastfed newborns that you know, a month or so in. And those babies are not necessarily grunting because of discomfort or because of straining. They're just grunting. Yes. Because that's what they do. Yeah. Uh, How about your opinion or attitude about things that are commonly uh, asked about, things like gripe water and uh, any use for that? Or when do you tend to recommend those things? I generally feel somewhat more comfortable with the name brand products out there. There's so many new products it's impossible to keep up with. And I I had a trusted lactation consultant that read a study one time on some of the, the 
kind of grape water-ish. It wasn't specifically grape water, but that they found that there were roadside weeds in certain products. So Really? <laughs> so so g- grape water is supposed to be extract of fennel. Yes, and, and chamomile. Yeah, and ginger and yes, things like that. Yes, But so... There's a company who apparently was just mowing the lawn and throwing that. Well, in th- <laughs> so so and and I don't I don't remember the exact product that that she quoted, and it wasn't specifically one of the grape waters, but it was it was a, a kind of a naturopathic or homeopathic remedy for a fussy baby, and and when it was broken down, and it's just I think families do need to be mindful that because something has a label thrown on it doesn't necessarily mean that it's been you know, kind of standardized or, and or these regulated. Thi- these things aren't regulated by the FDA. So even if they're for newborns, you have to be careful what you're buying. Right. So you're saying buy, buy right. the more common kind of recognized brands. Yes. And these sort of things. Yes. I'd say that, that, that there are certain, you know, like certainly the cymethicone drops that we talked about earlier, the gas drops. Um, there are companies that are pharmaceutical companies that, that manufacture and produce those. And, and I just have a slightly higher degree of comfort that they're standardized and that they're, mm-hmm. they're more likely to be safe. So when, when to try these things, are there any, um, cautions or hesitations? Yeah. I mean, the, it used to be that gripe water, a lot of it used to actually, I think when it first came out was an alcohol based yeah, it was. <laughs> solution. Yeah. So, um, avoiding alcohol. Elixirs, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Avoiding sugar. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, certainly those are things that, that, that you don't want to be adding in if you can avoid them. Um, but I think it's worth trying if it, if it's a kind of a trusted label and manufacturer, I think certainly, um, the idea of, of a chamomile or a fennel seed, there's there's nothing that, that I would caution parents that they shouldn't be open-minded to trying it. And, and if it works for them, great. There aren't any studies that that show that it works for everybody. But No, but assuming you have a brand that's reputable, there's really no harm. In giving that a try. Same yeah. with the gastrofs. Yep. Um, Coleaf, which is um, a lactase, which is you know an enzyme that helps break down milk. Babies, in theory, shouldn't be lactose intolerant. Uh, but they certainly, if they get a big load, um, and this is an enzyme that might help to break that down, if it if it works for your baby, it may then, be worth a try. Yeah. So one of the things you mentioned a few minutes ago when we first started talking was we talked about the mechanical issues that can cause a fussy baby. But then you were referencing potential components, whether that's of breast milk, um, having to do with something in the mom's diet or with uh, what type of formula so when do you start uh, worrying about maybe the source of food for the babies kind of triggering fussiness? Yeah, I mean, there are certain real telltale signs that we'll see that are that are easy to spot, blood in stool being one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not talking copious amounts of blood. I'm talking but streaks. little streaks, little flecks. That um, usually is a trigger for a parent to come in. Oh, yeah. Not a lot of parents are going to let that go. Going to sit on that one for very long. Yeah. Um, But it is actually, we see it, what, maybe every every month or so, a baby Mm -hmm. that has, yeah, you know, in our our smallish practice. And what, what does that suggest? That almost universally represents a sensitivity to a protein in either the formula or the breast milk. And, and most, commonly the the cow's milk protein Mm -hmm. and so we call it cow's milk protein allergy or sensitivity um 
it rarely is it an actual anaphylactic risk allergy. It is uh, more of a gut irritant. And, um, and that, that whole protein, as it gets absorbed into the, the infant GI tract and intestine, can be irritating. Um, and some babies are prone to have a lot of inflammation and irritation. And, and oftentimes we see that with a little bit of blood in the stool. My experience is you see a sudden change, too. It's not something they're born with. Yep. Uh, usually they're more than a couple weeks old. And they go from being happy and growing and fine to it's like a switch flips and they get suddenly fussy and you see that changes in the stool. Um, from yellow seedy to green mucusy. Green mucusy and you see the occasional streaks of blood, although yep. you don't have to. No, absolutely. And But there's a change. It's not like the kid's been fussy from birth. There's a change and then they come in and you kind of do a little evaluation and some talking and when you take them off whether that's eliminating cow's milk from the mom's diet or changing formulas to something that doesn't have the cow's milk protein in it what's the time frame as far as when you would expect to see improvement it can it can take some time for the stool to change back you know for that lining in the intestine to really kind of heal up and for all the irrit irritation to resolve but um but there's generally within a couple of days an improvement overall in the demeanor of the babies and what if the it's not a formula fed thing how long does it take for that component to clear because you have it two phases you have that has to clear from the mom and then has to and clear from the baby. So a little some longer time, with breastfeeding. For sure. Yeah. And and I, I always actually advise moms to there's a there's a great website for our kids that have true anaphylactic food allergies called the Food Allergy Network. Fan. Fan. Yes. And um and they have uh, it's amazing how many products have milk protein in them. Mm -hmm. And um, and they have extensive lists of all the foods that have casein and whey, which are the milk proteins. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I think sometimes moms will erroneously think that they are doing a, a dairy elimination diet because they've stopped putting cow's milk in their coffee. Mm -hmm. And uh, they may be mi missing many, many other sources Taking of dairy. Taking a supplement or some other thing in their either diet or something that they're ingesting that right. has that in there. Right. Yep. Yes. I agree. So they, if, if there's really the thought that your baby's fussiness or stool pattern is related to something in your diet, it's, it's, it's a job to really eliminate. You have to really think about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And um, and it does take a little bit longer if it's going through the breast milk versus a baby that's formula fed and going on a non-cow's milk based formula. Yep. And then, then I also, I, I generally caution moms. It's certainly the other milks, the goat's milks, the sheep's milks, the things that, that moms might use as an alternative. Um, some babies are fine you know, with moms on a different form of dairy, uh, but there's certainly a lot of cross-reactivity um, and also soy tends yeah. to be one of those that yeah. can cross-react I think as what well. you have to do if we're suspecting that it's a cow's milk protein intolerance is have the mom basically be on off a, everything off everything for a period of time until yep. you reestablish that baseline and then you can start adding back yeah, to mom's see, diet and, and see, see what, what happens. happens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. And, and they're, they're even, I've actually never taken a mom off of beef, but in theory, the actual beef protein could be a trigger for some really sensitive really? babies. Okay. Yeah. So do you think that's a second 
Like so, cow's milk obviously is the top probably five things in a diet is cow's milk, cow's milk, cow's milk, right? Cow's milk and cow's milk. But you th- you see sometimes beef. I, in a I have diet. I have heard I've seen reports of it. I've seen some some statistics. It's much less, but mm-hmm. um, but I've I've actually never. But far and away, cow's milk. Far and away. Yeah, I yeah. would agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. definitely. And there definitely are you know for the formula fed babies there are plenty of of formulas that that are options that are considered hypoallergenic and don't have those whole cow's milk proteins in them. So back to kind of the beginning of our talk, because we're kind of wrapping up here. Um, Parent comes in, say it's for the two or three week visit, and they're tired because all parents of two and three week olds are going to be tired. But they really, they, they think that there's something wrong with their child because they're fussy. So what kind of few questions, and we kind of alluded to it earlier, would you kind of ask to either reassure a parent that, no, their baby's probably just fine, or that maybe these, there is something going on? Well, so, so I think the first kind of parameter in our office that we look for is weight gain. Yep. A baby that's gaining weight well is, is a healthy baby. Is a healthy baby. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so that, that um, is, is the kind of main uh, indicator that I'm not acutely worried about a baby. If they're gaining weight well, everything else can be fixed. Yep. And, um, and so if they are gaining weight well and fussy periodically, I would consider that about as normal as, as you can get. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there also, we hadn't touched on it, but there are all sorts of strategies that parents can use to help soothe a fussy baby. Um, you know, you, you hear the stories of, of getting in the car at, at 11 p.m. every night and driving yep. that fussy baby around. Mm-hmm. Uh, babies love uh, basically the, the kind of that, that, that reference to the fourth trimester, trying to imitate as much as possible the environment that they were that they developed in and that, that is the most soothing for them. So those those gentle white noise sounds, the shushing, the swaddling, um, tummy time. Obviously, babies have to sleep on their backs. But when you are awake and you are attending to your baby, having them on their belly can be really, really soothing for a baby that has that has colic. I would agree. Terrific. So baby who's gaining weight and who is intermittently fussy, probably normal baby who's not gaining weight appropriately warrants a little more investigation. Absolutely. Babies who grunt all night, pretty normal. Pretty normal. <laughs> Good. Yeah, and babies that, that are getting kind of progressively fussier with their feeds, that's a great conversation to start having with your pediatrician to try to tease out, is this, you know, is there something that we can, that we can tackle to make this baby more comfortable with feeds? And then one just final thing just to kind of point out is every baby is different. So you certainly on one end of the spectrum have the baby who is just chill and they just don't fuss. Maybe they'll cry when they're hungry and, and I, you feed them and they don't and they're done. And, and then I tell those parents to not share that information with right. their friends who keep, have newborns. I tell them the exact same thing. <laughs> just keep that to yourself. Yes. <laughs> you can share it with me. But... Um, just keep that to yourself yes. because you're going to that's not the majority of babies and if you share that in your mother's group you may make some enemies. And then some cheerful the, enemies. Yeah. And then there's the other extreme where some babies are just kind of fussy and edgy for a while. Yeah. And what's the time frame as far that's as when that great question normal but fussy baby yeah. generally will start to kind of 
So I, first of all, I always reassure parents that this does not mean that you're going to have the most angst-filled teenager in the world, that, that, that really fussy and agitated babies do not necessarily continue to be fussy and agitated toddlers, um, and certainly not all calm babies are calm <laughs> toddlers. No, no. Uh, I, and in fact, I try to... Whether this is true or not, I have no idea. But I try to tell the parents, if your baby's really fussy now, maybe they'll just they'll get it out of their <laughs> system early their system. and be easy toddlers and an easy teenager. Yes. I don't know if there's any scientific truth to that, but I, I tell that to the parents just to kind of hopefully make them feel a little, a better, little about, better about what they're going through. Yeah. Well, and I, and I have so many families that had the easiest newborn period, and then their toddlers are just absolutely... Yeah, handfuls yep, yep. Mm-hmm. so um so yes yeah, so so kind of knowing that that it does not it does not reflect a personality trait that you have a kind of fussy um frantic occasional you know meltdown sort of a baby uh but that generally unfortunately we see it peak around six to eight weeks so if they're in your office at four weeks and they're they've got a fussy baby they're, they're probably in for a little worse before they're in for better mm-hmm. um, and sometimes knowing that you know knowing that that witching hour is going to maybe get a little more frantic and a little longer um, but it doesn't it, it will get better and then generally kind of closer to that two to three month you know kind of three month mark is when it starts to subside things start to settle yeah, yeah. I would agree that's my experience as well yeah well, Marianne, it has been a pleasure talking to you. I'm so glad that you were able to make time to talk about fussy babies, which is, I think, a really important topic for parents because they really need to get a sense of, is their baby okay? Absolutely. And, What's and normal? you know, and, and we underestimate how much fussing and, and sleep deprivation can affect maternal and paternal sanity. And, um, and it really is, it's overwhelming for parents. And It is. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a long road, uh, but it does get better. It does get better. And there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. Yep. Yep. Agree. Well, thanks for coming in. Absolutely. Let's take a break now. When we come back, I'll take some phone-in questions that are relevant to today's topic. back. Before we take questions, I want to let the listeners know about our phone-in line, which has been set up for people to call in and leave voicemail questions to be answered on the show. The call-in number is 925-732-6274. We also have a Facebook page at the Owner's Manual Podcast, where you can leave comments or post questions for the show. Whichever way you prefer, we would love to hear from you. And now for the questions. The first question is about infant teething. Hey, Dr. Nash. Um, This is Pat calling from Martinez. I have a question. Um, So my four-month-old baby's constantly drooling and chewing on her hands. She's also kind of fussy and in the evenings and nap times. I think she might be teething, but I'm not entirely sure. So my mother-in-law says that it'd be a good idea to rub brandy on her gums, and that'll help with the fussiness. I wanted to get your opinion, though. Is this okay? Something tells me it's not the greatest idea, but I wanted to know what you think. Thanks for calling, Pat. That's a good question. Now, a lot of things that we hear from our parents or grandparents as far as childcare and 
tricks of the trade, so to speak, generally are good ideas. But I think this is a situation where really recommendations have changed and your gut instinct that something's not quite right about this idea is correct. In general, babies teeth, they get fussy, but using alcohol, brandy or whatever else on the gums is really not something that's recommended. So there are plenty of things you can do for a baby who you think is teething. One of the things that's most commonly done is you take a washcloth, get it wet, put it in the freezer, and then when it's all frozen, the baby can chew on that. Having something firm to chew on usually is quite soothing for them. And also, the cold of the frozen washcloth generally numbs things in a way that doesn't have any potential for toxicity. There are products that are out there um, that are numbing products like Baby Origel. And it used to be fairly well accepted that people would use this sparingly for the occasional teething. However, a few years ago, there were a few reported cases of infant deaths associated with using products like that. It was never really clear why or what the mechanism of the infant deaths or whether or not it was truly associated with these products. But in general, I think most pediatricians uh, in this day and age steer clear of those products too. Other things that are helpful um, are using Tylenol. Tylenol is a pain reliever, and if you are thinking that your child is experiencing pain, whether it's from teething or something else, then a dose of Tylenol, or if they're over six months of age, ibuprofen, which is Advil or Motrin, can come in really handy. Sometimes a kid is fine during the day, but when you turn the lights off and put them to bed, the distractions of the day are gone, and the child who might be having some low-grade discomfort during the day is really kept up and bothered more at night by teething. So if it seems like there's a pattern that the child is fussy at night, a dose of Tylenol, or if again, if they're over six months of age, a dose of ibuprofen may be really handy. They also make teething rings that you can put in the freezer, similar to the washcloth, that will help uh, a fussy baby with teething, but steering clear of topical products like the baby Origel and also things like brandy or alcohol. Um, just not a good idea for babies. And now for our next question, which is about a baby with colic. Hi, Dr. Nash. This is Lauren. I'm calling from Danville. I have a two-month-old who has periods of being fussy. He seems fine most of the time, but for the past two or three weeks, he just starts crying at about 4 p.m. He doesn't stop for a few hours, and it seems like there's nothing I can do to stop it. And I'm worried that there's something wrong and also want to know what to do when this is happening. When he cries and he just he keeps crying and I can't stop it and I start to freak out and I don't know what to do. Do you have any advice? Thanks for calling, Lauren. That's a great question. And from the tone of your voice, it sounds like you're having a fair amount of anxiety and stress when the baby cries and you can't make it stop. That is totally normal for the parents of a newborn. It sounds like from your description that your baby has colic. Colic is a self-limited, predictable, fussy period of time that usually occurs in the late afternoon or evenings for a couple hours. Colic usually starts around three to four weeks of age, is at its absolute worst around six weeks of age, and has resolved by three months. So you have a two-month-old, so you should at this point be past the worst of it and 
Hopefully within the next month, you'll find that colic resolves and your baby isn't fussy like this anymore. But in the meantime, there are things you can do to help. Most babies who are fussy like being swaddled in a nice burrito wrap kind of swaddle. They usually do better like that. Some babies like having their arms out, so you'll have to try and see what works best for your baby. Most babies like a calm, quiet, dimly lit environment when they're fussy. But again, some babies like the lights on and music playing. So again, try and see what works best. Going for a walk with a stroller may help. Taking the baby for a ride in the car when they're fussy may help calm them down. And some parents put the baby in a car seat up against the washer or dryer and let the vibrations of the washing machine calm the baby down too. A lot of trial and error may help you find out what works best. And despite all your efforts, you may find that there are times that no matter what you do, you can't make the baby stop crying. And that's normal. So during those periods of time, it may make you very upset and stressed and you may break out in a cold sweat when you can't stop your baby crying. So if you've already established that the baby's okay, they're fed, their diaper's clean and all that, and there's nothing you can do to make them stop crying, sometimes the best thing to do is to put them in a little swaddle and put them in a safe place like their bassinet or their crib and take a five to 10 minute break where you go into another room or go outside and get a breath of fresh air. Sometimes you just need a break and that's normal. And while you're having your break and taking a few deep breaths, just know that colic always goes away, it's self-limited, and things will always get better. I hope that advice helps. And that's our show. I really hope you enjoyed it. Go to our Facebook page at The Owner's Manual Podcast and leave comments. I really want to thank my guest today, Dr. Marianne Borden, my partner in my office, for coming in and spending time talking to us. I really think the discussion will be helpful for parents of newborns trying to navigate what's normal and what's not. The opinions and beliefs expressed on the owner's manual are that of myself, Dr. Nash, and my guests and do not necessarily represent those of sponsors or other governing boards. The owner's manual is recorded and produced at Neutron Sound, Danville, California. The content of the owner's manual is the intellectual property of Andrew L. Nash, MD, and One to One Pediatrics, Incorporated. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. The Owner's Manual can be found on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Visit our Facebook page at The Owner's Manual Podcast and leave us a comment or a question.